Welcome to Real Estate and Coffee. My name is Joel Arndt. Here's some Canadian real estate news while you enjoy your morning coffee. Good morning. It's Monday, November 25th, 2019. This morning, we're going to look at some numbers, uh, some broad scope numbers, some granular numbers. We're going to look at, no, sorry, we're going to hear from another wealth hacker, short wealth hacker interview from the conference. And we're going to take a look at the building starts, not the building starts, building construction value in September. Stats Canada released that last week. We'll take a look at some of those numbers. And then there's a Yahoo finance article, opinion piece from someone who has been shorting Canada's economy, betting against Canada and the stock market, and he makes a major concession about why it's been a bad idea for the last 10 years. Stay tuned for that. But first, the Wealth Hacker interview. All right. So if you can start with name and how to get a hold of you. Uh, Rebecca Young on LinkedIn. Uh, Paul Iwasik, LinkedIn as well, E-W-A-S-U-I-K. So Rebecca and Paul. Okay, so let's start with Rebecca. Uh, what's your favorite investing strategy? I don't know where I'm going to get Real estate, 100%. Anything specific within real estate? Yes, we have uh, duplexes. And, sorry. Uh, I'm more on the, kind of the sales side, so I, I work right now, so I'm more putting money into her investment focus, and then also just providing more of a diversification strategy. Are you guys uh, individually financially independent? Uh, not right now, but our monthly costs are actually just our mortgage pay down on our primary residence. So realistically, I think we're for sure 10 years out and we're just uh, continuing down that track. Yeah, I'd say a steady path towards it. What's your What's your day-to-day look like to get to cross that financial independence line? Well, uh, right now we do both work and then we're just looking at all of our money and putting it back into real estate. Yeah, I would say it's basically a constant evaluation of uh, time or basically what is my time worth and how much am I making on this time and what can I do with my time to make the most money. So right now that is quite largely driven by our primary income, which is is work. But then we're also working on multiple streams of income, diversification from that and the long-term strategy of making those other alternative streams the primary. So basically the path towards financial independence. So I'm going to ask a couple questions now, just really snap questions and giving your opinions, your opinion. Uh, Should you rent or own your primary residence? I I mean, I believe you should own it, but I would never recommend that to someone who um, that's a stretch and they're living paycheck to paycheck. So what we love is we actually have um, a strategy where we, even our own primary residence, it's a duplex. So we rent out a part of it and it covers the majority of our costs for even that property itself. And then uh, for the other ones, it just generates enough cash flow to offset. And then, yeah, my thoughts on it is basically you need to make sure, or I like to just see it as an investment. So there are opportunities or, or scenarios where renting makes sense. Um, if you have alternative places where you do invest that have a higher return than the appreciation of the house or, I mean, we like we like Rebecca said, we look at our house as an investment. So, I mean, the fact that we do rent it out, it is in itself an investment. And as you kind of heard from the conference today, there are incentives to investing. So if you combine that with your home, it's, it's kind of like a win-win. It's awesome. Uh, cash flow or appreciation? 
cash flow. Yeah, cash flow for sure. Um, it's hard to find in the higher demand areas, but you know, obviously that's it's a trade-off, right? So if you're looking in Toronto, for example, I think it's a much more stable economy. I know people focus a little bit more on appreciation, but uh, it's kind of the, the game right now that you have to try and get in now and you're going to have that cash flow in the future. We were really lucky and we actually found a property that cash flows in Toronto. Yeah. So uh, we're pretty stoked about that. Yeah, in, uh, and another thing too is like I would consider appreciation is not just about the equity that comes into the home, but it's also a diversification strategy or a risk mitigation strategy, actually, because like the last thing that you would want is when these are very expensive assets for something to depreciate. So my look, my perspective, especially with the market being um, volatile, and like there's some people who say that the market is high in Toronto. The more that you believe that your potential property has the traits of an appreciating property, that also means like. Or in an often time, you look at it in a scenario where things are going poorly, how would it operate? What is the demand around this property to prevent against depreciation? So I think that it's like, it can swing both ways. So you need to make sure that the property that you have is trending in the right direction. Because like a property that goes really high could also go really low. If you find something that's a little bit less volatile, um, it might be an expensive property now because of its location. But if that location maintains its value and, and mitigates against appreciation, I think that's equally as important, if not more. That's excellent, guys. Thank you very much. Right, yeah. Thank you. <laughs>
Oh, well, probably overall. I wonder if their construction, um, or sorry, if their commercial resi- uh, commercial building investment was less. In any case, there's uh, oh yeah, yeah, they lost almost five percent. Anyway, um, very very good numbers for Ontario. Commercial residential investment is can is is down in. Um, many areas. It's up in BC, where, whereas the residential construction numbers were up or were down in BC, but the commercial residential, oh boy, construction numbers are up in BC. So overall, Canada is spending more money on building buildings, which is really good. Ontario needs to spend a lot more, but so it's a good, it's just a good track. Good way to track what's going on in Canada at any given time. This is not, you know, I'm not looking at this as any specific indicator of how uh, how the economy is doing, but together with other things like retail sales. So, for example, um, retail sales dipped a little bit in September. That was due mostly to falling auto and auto parts, automobile and auto parts sales. So, you know, you balance this stuff out and you, you get a big picture. These granular numbers can give you a big picture scope of what's going on. And what's even more important is what's happening on a city level. Like you can look at nationally, you can look at provincially, but what's really, really, really important is what is what happen, what is happening in your city. Now, what these numbers tell us, what I'm just reading here is saying that across the board, the cities are doing all right. And that's a good indicator. All right. So let's hop off of this and back into an article about how a it's a, a gentleman who has been consistently trying to bet against the Canadian economy and losing. Immigrants are burning Canada short sellers. This piece is an opinion piece from Yahoo Finance. Yahoo, Yahoo Finance Canada by Jared Dillian, Dillon, in any case. And, but he paints a very good broad scope of the Canadian economy, especially over the last couple of years. There are some major indicators that say the Canadian economy shouldn't be doing as good as well as it is. And that's why he's been betting against it. But he explains why, in his opinion, he believes Canada hasn't seen any major recession yet and why it's been doing as well as it has. And he uh, is blaming it on immigration. It's a really good article for an, uh, an interesting perspective, an outside perspective on Canada. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it after, but here we go. Immigrants are burning Canada short sellers. Canada has been a primary target for short sellers since 2013, six years now. The principal reasons are the country's very expensive housing, particularly in Toronto and Vancouver. The consumer debt levels are that are among the highest in the world. Canada also has an expansive private mortgage market that supplies credit when banks won't. It is hard to argue with the vulnerabilities. And yet, the Canadian housing housing market hasn't collapsed. 
I have been very vocal, a very vocal short seller of Canada, and I am not ready to declare the trade officially over even though the stock market has reached new highs and the local currency has strengthened. But I do acknowledge the big reason why the trade hasn't worked out as planned. Immigration. You know, side note, it's funny. If it hasn't worked for six years, you still going to hold to it? Anyway. Canada has a very liberal immigration policy that doesn't seem to be as controversial as it would be in the U.S. Canada allows 250,000 to 300,000 immigrants to enter the country legally every year, which is about 1% of the population. No matter where you go in the country, society is exceptionally diverse. Yeah, actually, I mean, I'm thinking about my hometown up north of 2,000 people. I guess it's still kind of diverse. No matter where you go in the country, society is exceptionally diverse. Complaints like those recently from hockey commentator Don Cherry are pretty rare. Immigration works, and it's a huge economic engine. In simplest terms, gross... Mm, sorry. In simplest terms, gross domestic product is output. And if you have more people working at a constant level of productivity, you have more output. Sure, Canada has a few economic issues besides a heated housing market. Its most important industry, energy, is in a sort of perma-recession. The government refuses to allow the construction of pipelines, and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's carbon taxes are a drag on growth. Still, population growth, mostly through immigration, is strong and have made up for those negatives. Various economic studies have shown that countries where the population is declining suffer from low growth and low inflation. Conversely, those with growing populations have faster growth and positive inflation. The economic riddle that is Japan is pretty easy to figure out. Deflation won't reverse until the population decline reverses. Japan's fertility has declined for cultural and technological reasons. If Japan continues to restrict immigration, it will continue to experience deflation, no matter how much currency they print. Demographics are the primary driver of inflation and interest rates and nothing else. Interesting note there on Japan. I mean, Japan can't really reverse much of its immigration policy because they are landlocked. Like, I don't know how much land they have left to give. They could start to build up some more, but I don't know how compressed they already are. I know there was a study done, or a trip uh, that built BILD, forget exactly what it stands for, but it, essentially an association of uh, builders and developers here in Ontario. They went to Tokyo and studied it because they wanted to look at what Tokyo was doing to unlock or, or to to serve their growing population in their metro areas. Tokyo has uh, a, metropol a metropolitan population probably five to six times larger than Toronto in an area that's smaller than Toronto. So, and how, so how are they fitting everybody in? So they're pretty cramped. Uh, so speaking on Japan specifically, it'd be interesting to see how they would actually solve their deflation problem if, if population growth is the reason why their economy is shrinking. Okay, back to the article. Attracting talent from around the world should be a top priority for just about any country. It has pretty much prevented Canada from doing lasting economic harm to itself after some questionable decision-making. Immigration alone is the primary reason that famed Canada housing, the famed Canada housing short ha, uh, short trade. Okay, immigration alone is the primary reason that the famed Canada housing short trade hasn't worked. The number of people in Canada rose 1.4 percent in July from a year earlier, the biggest since 
the biggest increase since 1990 and the fastest growth among the group of seven countries, according to Bloomberg News. Canada's consumer debt problem is a different issue altogether. Canadians have a comfort level with debt that Americans no longer do, so they never really deleveraged following the global crisis. As for real estate, it was an obsession in Canada for a while, and I still hear crazy stories, though most of the madness seemed to have uh, seemed to have happened in 2017 when Home Capital Group needed a bailout from Warren Buffett, and Pipple and Tony Robbins were hawking properties at something called the real the Real Estate Wealth Expo in Toronto. Don't forget the money flowing from China into West Vancouver houses from for various reasons. For a while. People were of the belief that the Bank of Canada was going to boost interest rates and pop the housing bubble. But now, it seems like Governor Stephen Pelosi is acknowledging the risks to the Canadian economy, or at least realizes that he can't have too much an interest rate differential with the U.S. If the central bank cuts rates, it is unlikely housing will go down. This has been going on for more than six years. It is, it is expensive to finance a losing trade for six years. You either have to declare the idea a failure or put it in the too hard pile. And given that, that correlations across countries is pretty high, the downturn in Canada will probably be synchronous with the U.S. and the rest of the world. So it's all the same trade. There are still risks. Debt is still high. A second Trudeau term is not going to make things any easier for Albertans. Secession is being discussed openly, but population growth can cover up a lot of mistakes. I'm still not crazy about Canada, but I think any short seller at this point has to admit that this is going to happen on a timeline that is too long for most people to endure. An interesting thought altogether, I never, honestly never thought of someone trying to short the Canadian economy. And because it's been happening for so long, I remember... He talks about 2013. I remember when people were talking about the Toronto housing boom back in 2011. I was working as a uh, manager at a hotel and restaurant way up north. Uh, the owner was a commercial real estate uh, agent. He sold, he sells lodges, uh, camps, uh, tourist properties up north. So he gets a lot of those Toronto customers. He was very in tune with what was happening in Toronto. And he was saying, like, you know, it's cyclical. This happens. It's gonna. It's a bubble. It's going to pop. That was 2011. And even the regulations brought in in 2018 and the, the bit of a correction that we saw in 2018, like, that's not a pop bubble. It's still on. Toronto's housing is still on the rise. Vancouver, on the other hand, I don't know. That's interesting. I, I think it's starting to recover. I haven't paid attention to Vancouver as much, but... So across the board, Canada's doing, uh, you know, I can't even say that. I hate those generalized statements because Calgary, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, they're, they're not, they're not seeing the same growth that Ontario, Vancouver, Quebec that we're seeing. So in any case, the idea of someone trying to, someone trying to short Canada's economy, we've been hearing about, oh man, this is going to end. This train, this train can't last, this ride can't last forever. And yet it kept, keeps going. Now it's true. This ride can't last forever. And I kind of do every now and then worry about what the, the end of the line is going to look like. But he, the point that he makes is actually something I came to realize a year ago 
mentioned uh, and, and it was brought to my attention by Erwin Cito, the guy, um, the gentleman who does uh, the Truth About Real Estate Investing podcast in Canada. I was at the first time I went to his meetings and he talked about uh, the Halton REI meeting in July 2018. He talked about uh, population increase, the amount of the number of people moving into Ontario specifically and, and, and into Ontario and then the Toronto area specifically it hasn't gone down. In fact, it's gone up and we don't have the housing to support it. So even if certain industries were to collapse, there are still people coming to Ontario that need housing. There are still people that want to work in Ontario. There's still businesses investing here. So unless that stops all of a sudden and unemployment skyrockets and people stop moving to Ontario and in, in the Toronto area, unless the population stops growing, it's hard to see where, where this ride could fall off the tracks. Now, I am not saying this is, this ride is going to continue. That's not what I'm saying. But what we need to be looking for is, or paying attention to, not looking for, but what we need to be paying attention to is anything that could end the influx of immigration. Because when that happens, I think if he's right, and I, you know, he, he makes a lot of sense. And I'd love for you, if you think this is all out to lunch, email me and let me know. But if I think he's pretty on the money with this. And if, if something happens to our immigration, then we're in trouble. But until then... Now, you know, I would really like to see less debt. I would love to see our, our, our debt-to-income ratio come down as a nation, um, even personally. But you can't affect that as much. Nationally, I don't know if you can affect that by policy as much as you can affect immigration. So, love to hear your thoughts. Email me, recoffee at joelarnt.ca. So that's recoffee at joelarnt.ca. .ca. Let me know what you think. If you uh, if you know someone who's also trying to short Canada's economy, send this episode to them. I'd love to hear their thoughts. If you want to continue getting Canadian real estate news every morning, Monday to Saturday, subscribe. Subscribe to Real Estate and Coffee on whatever podcast platform you're listening to right now also on apple podcasts even if you're not listening to this on apple Podcasts, if you can go over there and give real estate and coffee a five-star review that's going to tell apple that this is worth listening to and it's going to feed real estate and coffee to other people who care about real estate news in canada if you have some feedback for me you can leave a review with that rating as well and i'll read them all thank you so much for making time in your day for real estate and coffee it's Monday. It's the start of a brand spanking new week. It's going to be good. Enjoy your day.